I just uh, shut my, la- my, my thing off. <laughs> so, there we go. All right. Well, good morning. I'm clearly not uh, qualified to work one of these things. I should go back to paper. So <laughs> it's fitting this morning um, what we're going to talk about, and you'll see from the psalm that we're going to read, it's fitting as we just thought about people who are enduring suffering and persecution, um, both around the world, but right here in our midst. Uh, there are many of you, uh, in fact, all of you at some point, but many of you right now who are going through difficulties, whether it be health or relationships or any, any kind of sufferings that you're going through. And so this morning we're going to uh, we're gonna look at Psalm 13. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And also, I want to encourage the kids here. So the kids that are in the service, okay, I'll give you a little challenge today. So, so if, you, uh, if you find a piece of paper uh, or something to write on, uh, here's my challenge to you. Uh, you could draw a picture today of something that I'm going to, anything that I talk about today that would be something you could draw a picture that represents that. Uh, and then share that picture with your parents after church, or write down key words or things that are really important that you think are really important about what I'm going to say today. So, so you pay attention and write, write, draw a picture that you could show your mom and dad at lunch today and explain to them why that picture represents what we're going to talk about today. So uh, let's stand this morning uh, in honor of God's Word because it is inspired by God, comes to us full of His authority, And so we want to honor his word as we stand and read it. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, and lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, would you bless the preaching of your word today? May you strengthen the hearts of every single one of us If there are those in this room who are suffering right now, I pray today you would strengthen and encourage them. And God, we know that every person in this room will face suffering this side of heaven. And so God, would you prepare us and equip us and give us empathetic and sympathetic hearts, God, as we think through your word here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. No matter how old you are, the youngest person in the room today, all the way up to the oldest person in the room today, and we won't have you stand in that order, uh, but whether you're young or old, you have faced difficult, or what I'll call this morning, dark nights of the soul. Even the youngest person sitting in here knows what it's like to have a bad day, to have things not turn out to get in a fight with your sibling, to have, a, to have a moment where you find yourself, as the psalmist says, uh, where your tears become your food, and where you, you cry and you weep and you suffer. Suffering and trials 
are no respecter of persons. They don't care. Suffering does not care how old you are or how young you are. Suffering does not care how much money you have or how much money you do not have. Suffering does not care about your title. It doesn't care about any status whatsoever. Whether you're important to people or whether it seems that you are not, suffering comes to every person in all kinds of varying intensities, young and old. It could be the loss of a friendship could be the loss of a job, the loss of an opportunity, or the loss of a marriage. It could be an ongoing conflict that you're having with your spouse over the last 25 years. It could be a fight with a coworker, or it could be a strained relationship with a child. It could be the loss of the big game. It could be the loss of health. Whatever it is, whatever it is, In this broken world, every single person will face trials and sufferings of all kinds of varying intensities. And these dark nights of our soul, where we find ourselves struggling, confused, questioning, we find ourselves in a moment of disillusionment, depressed, and even despairing of life itself, these moments can bring deep emotional, mental, spiritual, physical pain to our lives and can leave us helpless at times. And I'm guessing in the room here, many of us understand exactly what that moment is like. We know what that dark moment of the soul is like. And I'm guessing all the way across the pond in India, the pastor that we just prayed for, he is understanding that right this very moment. So the question is, what are we to do in those moments? What is it, how is a Christian supposed to respond to those kinds of dark, difficult moments of life, to the suffering that comes to every one of us in all kinds of varying degrees? And I do want to say, I think it's easy for us to go, that pastor in India, now that's suffering. That's suffering. But the little spat you had with your spouse or the ongoing conflict for 25 years, that's nothing like what they're facing. I said, don't do that. Whatever suffering you're going through, it's your suffering. Whether it's big or small, whether you want to measure whose is worse or not worse, whatever you're facing, whatever difficulties of your soul, they are the difficulties that you're going through and they're very real. No matter how you gauge them, they're real. You may not be losing a loved one to persecution in India, but there is all kinds of loss that you can experience, that you are experiencing. And so the question is, what are we to say in these moments? How, what is the language? How are we to speak? How do we respond in these moments? And I want to just take a moment before we dive into what the Bible would say about this. I want to just say a few things about our Western culture that we live in. We live in a culture that is completely... Uh, does everything it can to not feel the pain of sadness and sorrow. We do everything we can. Our highest value is to be happy, right? To feel happy. And if you don't feel happiness, there are people who will sell you stuff. 
Or there's things that you can turn to that will make you happy. When, when trials flood our minds, we, we can tend to somehow push our emotions aside. We, we put on the strong front, right, so that no one will know. We've got to be strong for other people, we say. We, we, uh, we tend to distract ourselves from feeling these painful things. We pretend they don't even exist. We, we even want our sadness to be upbeat, right? You ever thought about this? As I was preparing this, I thought, I've done many funerals in my life. But even today, like we've tried to remove and minimize the sadness at a funeral. We say things, we have poems, right? And this poem isn't even wrong. I get what the poem is saying, so don't, don't, don't get mad at me for, for criticizing the poem. There's a poem called Don't Cry For Me. You've probably seen it. If you've been to very many funerals, you've seen it. It's a wonderful poem that talks about from the person who's passed away perspective going, hey, don't cry for me. Everything is better for me. I'm in the presence of my Savior, and it's great. It's talking about the hope that the person who's passed away is feeling, and we should have that kind of hope as we stand before a fellow believer's gravesite. We should have that hope that that poem talks about. But it's, it's as if to dismiss the reality of the pain of loss. Don't you be crying, right? You know, and part of me wants to say to the person who's passed on, if they were truly to talk to you, and say, uh, this isn't about you in one sense, right? It's also about my suffering and losing of you as well, the loss that's there, right? And so, but we, we tend to want to push that aside. We want, we, we say things, and I don't say, again, I wanted to say this really carefully. We have celebrations of life, right? And that's good. We should celebrate life. But there's also a time to weep and grieve and mourn and feel the deep hurt of loss in our lives. And so, as Christians at times, we tend to want to minimize that part, especially in the Western culture. Think about this thought for a moment. Jesus, when he arrived at Lazarus's tomb, Knowing full well that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, what did he do? That's right, he wept. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. What an instructive thing. And yet he wept. Knowing full well in a moment he's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. He wept and grieved at this loss. We are very good in our culture of seeking false saviors. We bury ourselves in work when it comes to suffering. We bury ourselves in work, entertainment, food, drink, hobbies. We watch tons of TV, anything to distract us from the reality of the pain that we are facing in our lives. Whatever we can do to not feel it. Sometimes we even try to take matters into our own hands. We try to control things in our lives uh, to the point where we control all the circumstances. I, I used to, in a small way, here's an example of that for me. When I would go through difficult times, I would often clean my office. You ever have those things? Some of you have one of those things that you do when things are stressful and difficult. You clean. You know why we do that? It's because it's the only thing I can control at that moment, right? Most of the stuff that causes stress and suffering in our lives, most of those things are outside of our control. But the thing I can control, I can clean my desk. Right? Those aren't necessarily bad things, but oftentimes we do them as a means of not really sitting in the reality of the hurt that we have. I remember a child, this will put it in maybe a sobering perspective, a child in ministry years ago was sitting in our Sunday school class in South Dakota. The Sunday school teacher was teaching that Sunday on sin. 
and the reality of sin and the hope of the gospel. And she went through how serious our sin was and that our sin was an offense to a righteous and a holy God. And this young 10-year-old boy was so, like she, as the Sunday school teacher told me the story after church, she was weeping. She had never seen a young person have such a, a significant encounter with God right there in the midst of all these other kids. He was grieving over his sin and he began to weep. And then she shared that, that, that because our sinfulness is an offense to God, punishable by death, and she shared the hope of the gospel. And this young boy embraced it. He was so relieved. And just she could see him go through all of these emotions throughout the course of the class, from, from crying and weeping over his sin at, to, to the hope and joy of the gospel. And then he went home. And that week, mom and dad showed up in my office, and they were furious with me. I mean, they were mad. And you know what they were mad about? Whatever we had taught in Sunday school, they were mad that it had made their son sad. That was the highest thing. I couldn't even explain. I showed the lesson. I couldn't explain that, yeah, but we didn't leave your son there. Like, we, we shared the hope of the gospel in the midst of that. That no matter. We, the fact that their son had been crying in Sunday school, that was an offense that was unforgivable. And they left our church over that. Um, what, a, what, a, what a sad reality, right? Because we, we think that sadness and sorrow, certainly over our sin, is a bad thing, right? So, that's a big introduction. But I think it's important for us to think through those things. Because the scriptures not only encourage us to not avoid the pain and sorrow and suffering in our lives, but the, the Bible actually gives us words. It gives us language that's, that's ordained in Scripture itself. It gives us a form, a means of actually working through and facing these painful emotions that we feel in the midst of suffering. And the Bible, the word for this in the Bible is called lament. The word lament. Uh, it's a word that's honestly lost, not only in our culture, but it's certainly lost in the Christian church. We do not... Uh, we do not think about lament enough. We, we, don't, we don't sing lament enough. I want you to just consider today that the words that I read to you in Psalm 13 is a song written by a man going through suffering, David, and he's writing a song that the whole congregation would have sang to God, these words of pain and sorrow and suffering and loss. And, and so we find in Scripture this, this idea of lament is prominent. Let me just give you a definition Lament is this, it's expressing feelings of deep sorrow and grief and regret, and here's the key word. It's expressing these emotions, these deep painful emotions, to God. That's the key word. That's the difference between simply grieving in a a non-Christian without God means, or as a Christian, the Bible gives us a means of expressing these deep, painful, difficult emotions of regret and sadness and doubt and, and sorrow, expressing them to God as a means of worship, as a means of a call and a cry to God to help, right? And so this is, this is what the Bible means by lament. The Bible's filled with it. Uh, just to give you a few, Habakkuk, one of the Old Testament prophets, he lamented the fact that the people of God were unwilling to repent and that God's judgment was coming. Jeremiah repent, or, or lamented greatly over the fact that the, the preaching that he had done had no effect on the people. In fact, there's a whole book, right? 
whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. You should read it. It's a painful book to read for good reasons because it's a lamentation. It's expressing the deep hurt and suffering of God's people. We, we see Jesus lament. He lamented in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. He lamented at the cross. He, in fact, quoted, my God, my God, Psalm 22, right? That's, a, that's one of the great lament psalms in, in the Bible. He, he, uh, he lamented uh, at Lazarus' tomb as well. He grieved. Um, out of 150 psalms, this is incredibly insightful, just for... Out of 150 psalms, one-third of them are lament psalms. 67-plus psalms, depending on who's categorizing them. Just think of that. So you got the thing up there. A third of all the psalms that you read in the book of Psalms are lament psalms, written specifically out of suffering in order to express to God the deep sorrow of our hearts. Isn't that incredible? God has given us a gracious means, and he's put it in the Bible. These these are things, a a way for us to express our suffering and sorrow. These psalms are a cry of despair and anger and doubt and protest to God. I love what D.A. Carson, one theologian, he said this. He says about these psalms, he says, There is no attempt in Scripture to whitewash the anguish of God's people when they undergo suffering. They argue with God. They complain to God. In fact, most of these psalms are complaint psalms, they're called. They complain to God. They weep before God. There's, there's, that is these Old Testament saints, theirs was not a faith that leads to dry-eyed stoicism. That is, when tough things are going on, we're just toughing it out, man. No, 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 that's not the example we see in Scripture. It says, he says, but their faith, their faith, and I pray our faith, was robust enough to be able to wrestle with God in the midst of our suffering. Their God that they knew and loved and had a relationship was a big enough God to wrestle with in these moments of suffering and sorrow. I really think that sometimes as Christians, and I've heard this out of our mouths we think that somehow it is a lack of faith to truly grieve and to weep and to be sorrowful. Especially when it's the death, for instance, of a loved one who, who knew Jesus. We're like, why are we sad? Why are we not trusting in God, right? We say these kinds of things, but I don't think it's a lack of faith. But I believe, and we see an example in these Psalms, that, that to, to grieve and to 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 express our sorrow and our suffering and our difficulties is actually an act of faith. And it's an act of faith because as Christians, we are crying out and expressing honestly these deep emotions and we're expressing them to the God that we know and love and believe in. That's an act of faith, just like you praying every day is an act of faith. It is not a lack of faith. It is actually crying to the only one who could actually do anything about your suffering whatsoever. I think for myself, um, this has been a very, personally anyway, very comforting reality in the Bible for me. And I'm sure for many of you. That it's incredible to think that our God has thought about everything. (laughs) And he's thought about the very thing that we don't like to deal with, but he's, he's given us graciously this unbelievable means of being able to grieve 
all kinds of things. To grieve our sin, to grieve, as we said, all the different things at the beginning. Um, you've done this actually before. You think about this. When you're, when, you're, when you're down and depressed and you're driving to work in the morning and you turn the radio on and it's like some like cranking out, like, you know, just some jamming song. I was trying to think of one in my head, but I probably better not. But, you know, you, like, you know you're, like, you're like jamming out, and you're like, you turn that off, right? You're not in the mood for that, right? You, what do you do? You, you turn on the sad songs, right? You get out the, you get out the uh, journey or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. But you, right, you're like pulling out some, some sad stuff, and you listen to it, and you cry. You don't want to, and, and when you're happy, you don't turn on the funeral dirge, right? I mean, you, you're turning on the cranking song. Like, we, we do this all the time. This is what the psalmist is doing. When we're sad, he sings sad songs to God and expresses his heart's real desire and his heart's longing. Um, well, in the psalms, and I won't spend much time on this, but there's two types of these songs. There's a communal laments and there's individual laments basically communal laments are when the psalmist declares something about the whole body i think this is a in in, in psalm 12 verse 1 is a great example of a communal lament the psalmist is actually lamenting something that i was having a conversation with somebody just recently about like he's lamenting the fact that in israel there's no one who truly seeks after god anymore he's grieving where are the godly people he's saying where are they at he says save O lord for the godly one is gone. This is verse 1 of Psalm 12. He says, For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. And that, he's basically just saying, God, what is going on, right? I, I think we say that a lot these days, right? Where are the godly people? I was having a conversation about this and somebody asked me the question uh, in our community. They said, so where are the godly kids? who love Jesus, who genuinely love Jesus. Where are they at? He was asking. And so this is what the psalmist was crying out to God about. There's individual psalms that deal with a personal issue like David in Psalm 86 where he says, Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. He's talking about a very personal issue that he's having with a group of people. Very individual well, let me just explain a few of these <coughs> themes that we see in the Psalms, and then we're going to dive in to finish this out in Psalm 13. There's all kinds of subjects in the Psalms, in these lament Psalms. There's a crying out to God for emotional and physical pain. Psalm 6, the psalmist is actually uh, struggling with a sin that he, he's struggling to overcome. You ever have that problem? A sin that keeps nagging you, something that you're continually trying to overcome, and you, just when you think you've defeated it, it rears its ugly head again and again and again and again. The psalmist understands exactly what that's like. And he's, he's lamenting before God this reality of sin, and he's grieving it in his life in Psalm chapter 6. Uh, and he says, I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled and my soul is greatly troubled. You ever feel like that? I'm languishing, God. I'm, I'm struggling here. My whole, my whole physical being is struggling because my, my, my soul is racked with sin. Right? I love the Psalms. It actually gives us insight into the fact that your, your spiritual life is connected to your physical life. Right? You're struggling with sin. 
All of a sudden you find yourself having health problems. You find yourself sapped of energy. All kinds of things are happening. Sometimes, we see in the Psalms, it's due to the fact that you are living apart from God. Running away from Him. You can read Psalm 6 later on to see what the uh, end of it is. The psalmist was struggling of loneliness and alienation. He was feeling, listen to what what he says in Psalm 69. He says, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. <laughs> That's a sad estate, right? He's saying, everyone around me hates me without cause. That's a powerful thing. And he says, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit at the gate and drunkards make songs about me. <laughs> he's talking about the fact that he's being gossiped about. People are making fun of him. They're making up songs as they're getting drunk down at the local pub. They're making up songs and talking about him. Do you ever feel like people around you are talking negatively about you? (laughs) Sometimes it's not even true, but in the midst of your sorrow and difficulties in your life, you imagine that people are actually making up stuff about you, right? Sometimes it is true. Either way, (laughs) either way, the psalmist is expressing this to God and saying, God, what what are you going to do? He's been mistreated by others, which is very similar to the last one, but Look at Psalm 7, verses 1 and 2. He says, Save me from all my pursuers. Deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it to pieces with none to deliver. Notice that he's not, I don't think he's even referring here to people who are physically trying to kill him in this instance. He's simply saying there's these people who I'm in conflict with and it's tearing my soul apart. Do you have any of that in your life? A constant conflict with someone whom you love and it's ripping your life apart? Well, listen to the next one, Psalm 55. He says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from it. But it is you. He's speaking to a specific person here. Imagine this. He says, A man of my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take counsel together within God's house. And on and on it goes. He's talking about betrayal. Not betrayal from just anybody, but from a trusted friend whom he used to pray with and worship with. You ever felt that before? The Psalms express these real emotions and pain to God. It even talks about aging. (laughs) I just put one here, but there's actually many that have comments about aging. uh, Where he says, do not cast me off in the time of my old age. In other words, God, continue to work with me and work through me up until the point that I die. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Right? He's talking about his old age. It talks about death. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol, which is the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. He's concerned that his sorrow is so deep that he will die. Uh, I love the psalmist. I didn't put this one up there. But he says in, in about three places in the Lament Psalms, he says, he, he barters with God a little bit. He says, hey God, if I die, what good am I going to be if I die? Am I going to be able to praise you as I'm dead? Is the dust that I'm going to go back to, is it going to praise you? In other words, like God, surely you're not going to let me die here because what good is that going to be to you? You know, like that's, that's in essence what he's saying. Like this is not a good thing. Let me not die in this moment. All right, so there's another introduction. Now we're on to Psalm 13. There's a lot more themes that we could talk about, but we'll go on. I wanted to give you a spattering of these things so that you could just see like the whole scope of this. But there's also a pattern that every lament psalm has. 
It's a pattern that you instinctively, I think we instinctively do in our own lives. There's a, there's a, every one of the Psalms, the Lament Psalms, has these, at least these four elements. Some people break them down different ways to make them more or less, but there's at least these four elements, not always in the same order. Sometimes it starts with something else, but, but there's at least these four things. And so we're going to go through, through Psalm 13 and we're going to look at each of those elements. So the first pattern, the first thing that every one of these Psalms has is a plea to God or a cry to God, oftentimes in the, in the form of a complaint. To God, the psalmist is coming before God and leveling his complaint about a difficulty in his life. In Psalm 13, it's the first two verses, and he states it in questions. He states it in questions that we've probably all thought about, maybe worded differently, but we've all had these thoughts. How long, O Lord? That's his address to God. How long? In other words, I I don't know that I, I can do this much longer, God. How long is this trial that I'm facing? How long is it going to be, O Lord? He says... Goes on to say, Will you forget me forever? That's an incredible statement, right? Will you forget me forever? I want you to think about this for a minute. That the statements that the psalmist is making and the questions he's asking, theologically, they're all wrong. These are wrong questions. Will God forget us ever? We know this theologically, right? He's not making theological statements to God. He's expressing how he feels. He's expressing emotions, right? And so let me, let me, let me give you a little, uh, this will be a little class on dealing with people in crisis. When someone expresses a question like that, which, what's oftentimes as Christians our first response? Well, you know, um, that's actually not possible. <laughs> because the Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? <laughs> right? We, we sometimes do that, right? Because theologically, we know that that's not possible. But this isn't a theological point to be made here. In fact, in the moment of someone asking this question out of deep despair, the very last thing you should meet them with is stoic, stoic steely-eyed logic and theology, right? This is an invitation to sit with somebody and simply understand and feel what they feel. This is pain that he's feeling. He feels as though God is distant. He feels as though God is not not working in his life. He feels as though there's this big chasm going on, right? We know it's not true, and we're going to find out he also knows this, but he feels it anyway. Have you ever felt things like that? Have you ever said, God, where are you in this? Have you ever gone through suffering that's so deep that you're saying, God, I don't know how you're going to get glory in this. That's what he's saying. God, it feels like you are not present in my life. He even says, he goes on to say, how long will you hide your face from me? It's as if the sovereign, almighty God who sees everything, he feels as though God is not even giving him a glance. He's not even looking my way. God is not even paying attention. It feels like, even though we know theologically it's not true. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? There's a definition of depression, right? Taking counsel in your own soul, bad idea, right? Turning yourself inward. How long am I going to take counsel from my own painful soul, right? That's That's a... That's the spiral into depression, right? How long am I going to do this? He says, and have sorrow in my heart all the day long. Right? You've felt that. The deep 
sorrow, of depression, turning yourself. And he says, how long, this is a powerful one, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I don't think in Psalm 13, and many wrestle with this, I'm not sure he's actually talking about a physical enemy that's doing some harm to him. He's, it could be, and we're going to see it come up again, but I think in some ways, whether it is or isn't, what I think is actually happening is saying, when we go through suffering, and those who are enemies of our faith, those who, like in India, the pastor right now who's going through suffering, I guarantee you one of his concerns is, is that God How are you going to be seen in the midst of my suffering? Will my enemies, at the end of the day, will they say, ha, see, you're God? He's no big deal. Isn't this what Psalm 42 says? As as David is plummeting into depression, he says, "And, and all the while, people around me who are not believers in God, they're saying all the day, they're taunting him, saying, where is your God? Where is your God in this? You say your God is a mighty, powerful God? I don't see him working in your life. I think that's what the psalmist is saying here. Will my enemies feel as though they have prevailed over me in my suffering? And then comes the second part of this, which is a request. He says, consider and answer me. O Lord my God, lift up my eyes. In other words, open my eyes, enlighten me, give me understanding so that I, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies, again, say of me, I have prevailed over him, and lest my foes rejoice that I have been shaken. Do you get that? Lest my foes rejoice that I have been shaken, right? Will the world around mock me because it seems as though this suffering and this trial has overtaken me and, my, and, my, and the suffering and trial has prevailed. Will they make fun of me? Every, every psalm of lament has this deep question or this call for God to act. Do something, God, please do something. Many of them are much greater than six, six verses. But in every psalm, there's also an affirmation of faith. This is an incredibly instructive thing. In every one of these psalms, there's a moment where the psalmist goes from torment and suffering and depression to where he then turns and he speaks and and confesses, this is what I know to be true. No matter how I feel in this moment, no matter how I feel about God, no matter what doubts I feel, no matter what suffering and sorrow I feel, this is what I know to be true. And this is what he does in verse 5. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast or unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. This is instructive for us. Just like me cleaning my office, because that's the one thing I can control. No matter what happens to your life, what's the one thing that no one or no event can ever take away from you? It's your faith in Christ, right? No one can take that away. No one can somehow thwart the purposes of God and the work of God in your life. No one. And this is what the psalmist is expressing. He's saying that I trust in your unfailing love. Even though he doesn't feel it in that moment, he's expressing it because it's true, and he's saying I rejoice in the fact that God has saved me. 
This is true for every one of us. If you want to know what you can be thankful for, even when the world falls apart and everything goes away, if every earthly person and thing in your life was gone, the one thing that will never be gone is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. Because he, he has purchased you with his own blood. He has called you and bought you and brought you into the family of God and no one can undo that. This is what the psalmist is expressing. And then every single psalm of lament ends or has some big moment where it praises God. It ends, in a sense, in song. (laughs) Singing praise. It says, I will sing to the Lord. (laughs) This is a crazy statement to me because he's dealt bountifully with me. I can guarantee you when the psalmist was writing this, he didn't feel that way, right? He's not writing it because he's, he's feeling that way, but he's turning to God reminding himself of the truth of who God is and then saying, I know, this is good for all of us, I know that even though this moment is horrible, I know that overall my God has been good to me. My God has dealt bountifully with me. If God should snuff any one of our lives out, we we could be thankful for every moment he's given us up to this day, right? He says, my God has been good to me. It's good sometimes for our soul to speak truths even when we don't feel them. That's an instruction we can get from the laments. He's actually trusting God before God's actually acted to, re- to remove the sorrow, right? It's good for us to, do, to know that. I think sometimes we are a culture that if we don't feel it, then we're not going to do it, right? But sometimes it's, it's bringing ourselves to that which is true that actually pulls us up out of the muck and the mire and causes our hearts to be renewed and restored and causes us to rejoice. And so this is an incredible act of faith on David's part to actually declare what he doesn't feel like at all, what doesn't represent his emotions, but to to declare what is true and really to trust, to say a statement of trust in God even before God has done anything to remove the situation that he's in. And even if God never removes it at all. So, I, I hope today, and I'm just going to close with a couple things that we can learn from this, which we've already said many of them. I hope that we can learn to be those who would, who would suffer well, right? That we could learn the language of suffering. We realize that these are words that God has put in his holy scriptures. These are, these are real people, David, Moses, Ezra, these are real people who express real emotions of pain just like you and I. They're not superhumans in the Bible. We can see this from, their, from the words that they put on paper. And we should turn to these psalms often in the midst of our suffering. And we should learn the language and understand that God wants us to be honest with him. That's the first thing we can learn from this. God wants us to be honest. God wants us in that same vein, not only to be honest, but he wants us to share our deepest pain with him. But also, I think we learn from these psalms that it's good to grieve. It's good to grieve. It's funny, we have to say that, right? But we really do have to say that. I I do work with a fair amount of people that are grieving deeply in moments. And I, I can't tell you how many times I have to give people permission to fall apart. It's okay to fall apart. When something serious happens to your life that's earth shattering, normal activity is to fall apart, right? 
It's to have a moment where your strength is sapped and you don't know what to say or do. You just feel pain. That's okay. That's normal. That's what the psalmist is expressing in these psalms. He's being honest, but not only just expressing those things, he's being honest to, with God. This is the interesting thing about us. I don't know about you, but I can pray a lot of really lofty prayers sometimes when I'm not thinking about it after I've had a really cruddy day. And I've found myself stopping myself in the midst of the prayer, and I can almost hear God saying, that's bull. You don't believe that. Really, you're going to talk to me like that? I know what's really going on in here. Like, God already knows my heart, right? (laughs) He wants me to just be honest with him about this. Share exactly how I feel, because he already knows how I feel, right? So be honest with him. It's a a crazy thing, but we sometimes think that we're pulling one over on God. We're going to have act all cheery when we're not cheery and we're going to pray all lofty nice prayers when God's saying no that's not really how you feel I know this so let's get real let's get honest right God wants us to be honest it's good for us to grieve it's good for us to cry it's good for us to doubt have you ever had a doubt man yes but notice the the focus of these prayers and these songs they are to God We are bringing our sufferings and our struggles and all these emotions and all these fears and all of our sadness to God and we're bringing them to him because these psalms, I think, show us that our God is trustworthy. Our God is trustworthy. We can trust him with our whole lives, including how we feel honestly in any given moment. And we can speak to him with honest words. And ultimately, the reason why we can do that, because our God understands suffering. Our God understands suffering. He sent this wonderful verse that you know well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right, to die on a cross in our place. And it's through the suffering and death of his son that you and I are saved and given life. Amen? He understands our pain. He can handle it. He knows what it's about. And so, as First Peter tells us, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He knows your sorrow and your suffering. He's familiar with it all. And so be honest with him. Maybe even today there's someone in here who this is, this is, this is the, the call for you today is simply to be honest with God in prayer and share what's truly going on in your heart sadness over whatever it might be, young or old, child, senior, adult, expressing to God honestly what's going on in your heart. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these psalms that cause us uh, to realize that we can come to you with everything. I mean everything. And we can speak honestly to you And you will work in our hearts. You will work in our lives. You will bring comfort that you are the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion who comforts us in all of our troubles. And so God, I pray that you would teach us this language of lament. Teach us how to pour out our hearts and to cry out to you. Teach us to celebrate, certainly. Maybe celebrate a lot, but God, teach us to cry. Teach us to face our hurts and our pains and our sorrows. But, but God, may we be as the Apostle Paul. May we grieve, 
these losses and these difficult things that happen in our lives, but let us not do it as those who have no hope. It's to Christ that we turn. It's to the hope of the resurrection, the hope of eternal life that, that is ours in Christ. It's because of him that we can face these things and we can face them with hope. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna turn now to communion uh, for this very reason. Uh, we, we turn, it's interesting, at the end of a talking about lament,